Hello and welcome to Pause and Listen, a podcast series brought to you by Big Dog Pet Foods, the leading pet nutrition provider in Australia with over 20 years of experience within the pet industry. We provide educational resources for pet parents and are proud of being transparent in everything we do. Hosted by various members of our Big Dog team, we bring you interviews and deep dives into pet nutrition and care, training and regular Ask a Vet segments. Thank you for tuning in. Get your tails wagging and we'll get yapping. Hi, my name's Tiffany and I'm a member of the Big Dog Pet Foods team and dotting parent to Teddy. Today I'll be chatting with Chris Essex, the founder, owner and managing director of Big Dog Pet Foods. Chris founded Big Dog in 2000 and built the company to be Australia's leading commercial raw pet food manufacturer that values pet health, education and transparency in our product. I'll be picking Chris's brain on the fundamentals of raw food diet for pets to live their healthiest, happiest lives. Chris, how's it going? Well, thanks, Tiff. Thanks for the introduction. (laughs) No worries. Uh, So we at Big Dog live and breathe raw food diets for our dogs and cats. But how did we come about this? Why did you create Big Dog's raw food for pets? Okay, so we, we started 22 years ago, so we know, 2000, September 2000. My background's food science, um, and I was in the small goods industry for seven years in various roles, working through that. But um, in a roundabout way, I was in a, uh, I was in a pet shop over at Redcliffe, actually, and um, I was just talking to the, the owner there, and, and we had a good old chin wag, and he, he was inquiring about my background, and, um, and we then progressed to would I be interested in manufacturing a raw pet food for them? That's only new, there's been books written about it, but it's not commercial reality. So I was 26 then, and yeah, I wanted to start my own business. Um, and yeah, I read through it, it looked fantastic. You know, what the concept was, it's nothing like, it's very niche. Always been involved with um, with dogs in my life, mm-hmm. um, and love the nutrition side of things, so um, it was a no-brainer for me. I jumped at it. Awesome. So, what makes up a raw food diet? Well, our, our diets, you know, there's a number of different diets out there, obviously, and everybody has their own little quirky percentages they want to work with. And we're not strictly the uh, 80 10 10 rule or anything like that. There's a number of different ingredients. So, uh, you start with the muscle. We're really mimicking wild dogs' diet. So, a wild dog diet. When they when they catch something and, and consume it, there's going to be muscle meat. There'll be bone. There'll be offal content. There'll be some of the stomach content as well, which will normally have some sort of vegetable matter that's pre-digested. So there's bacteria present as well. Um, so that's really essentially what's what's in our diet. So uh, your muscle meat and we'll, we'll the percentage will be somewhere around the 75 to 80 percent. The offal content will will vary between five to 10 percent. You've got plant matter and vegetables five to 10%. Um, then we've got some of our extra goodies that we that we include in our diet specifically as well. So if you add all those up, it's probably gone over 100, but that's what I mean. There's always a little bit of a variation um, within our diets and, and really what we're trying to achieve with each diet as well. That's great. Giving 110% to our diets. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing less. So you talked about raw diets for wolves. Dogs in the wild. <laughs> Dogs in the wild. Including wolves, including, including yes. uh, African 
the African dogs, so any of those sort of wild canine breeds, yeah, yeah. not necessarily wolves, but yeah. everybody relates back to wolves. But yeah. And that's why you picked a raw food diet? Well, raw food diet, when I, I read about it and did the research, it just made sense that that's what our dogs should be, and our cats should be eating. Um, highly processed diets make no sense. And if you want to just put it in direct comparison to humans, it's the same for us. So highly processed diets... There's no good ones out there. If we're, we're consuming all natural, um, minimal processing, um, not raw so much for us, but um, you know, minimal minimal processed diets that we it uh, promotes our health and well-being much better. So the same thing happens across for the dog. You know, evolutionary diets, um, species appropriate diets, all relate back to to that natural diet that um, dogs been eating for millions of years. So, you know, it was a, it was very simple for me to relate to. Yeah, perfect. And you also mentioned offal. Is that mm. organs? Yeah. Yeah. So offal is um, a lot of people curl their nose up when I say offal, but offal is organs. But it's a lot. It, it entails uh, livers, kidneys spleens intestines heart is also gets captured there but we'll talk a little bit more about heart i'd imagine further on with trimsner um but yeah all those also those sort of tripe that's another one actually that um, is very good so we we use a lot of those ingredients and the reason for it is um, they're a powerhouse of of nutrition especially your your vitamins but then there's also some really good minerals um inside as well so you know that they definitely need to be in a diet uh, a diet a raw diet that doesn't contain any offals um, there's probably a very very good chance that they're going to be void of of the proper essential minerals and vitamins that they need yeah cool and so you consider offal separate to muscle meat i do i do because what well, a it, they just look totally different when you <laughs> when you're blending and mincing through um but it they offer minerals and vitamins, whereas your muscle meat, um, it doesn't have the same nutri- nutrition, nutrient content as uh, as your offals. And hence the reason why with offals you can only feed so much as well. And vitamin A, vitamin D is, can be toxic. Um, so there's a limited amount that can, can go into the diet. So the other part of it, if you look at a wild dog's diet again, they're consuming a lot of muscle meat first. Um, not first, sorry, but the majority of the of the diet will be muscle meat. So that's what we really replicate. The first thing they do eat is, is normally the organ content because they know how nutrient rich it is and how good it is for them. So that goes first and then they consume quite a bit of the muscle meat uh, for the protein essentially um, because the, the raw meat is um, is has all the essential amino acids that, that dogs need and plus all the other ones. It's really complete when we refer to amino acids and proteins. Um, is complete diet for them. So that's what foundation is on, is on muscle meat. Muscle meat and organs. Mm. Sweet. So by using both muscle meat and odd parts like the offal, it mimics what our pet's ancestors ate, but it also reduces waste, right? Absolutely. So you're talking nose to tail philosophy? Yeah. Yeah. There's something that we, we're quite big on here, you know, we Animals are, are being used in the human industry for, for meat, obviously. So, you know, we want we don't want to have any wastage there. So it's very important for us to try to, to use that philosophy as much as we can. Um, so the animal's given up their life, so we should consume as much as we can. 
Uh, and not only that, some of those icky parts that uh, humans don't like eating is actually very nutritious. So it's really um, a win-win. You know, it's great for our dogs from a nutrition purpose, but it's also great that we're, we're, we're using that philosophy and we'll always use that philosophy with the nose to tail. Beautiful. I love that. Um, and you mentioned bone as well. What are the benefits of bone for our pet? Bones, um, well, everybody thinks of bone and they immediately think of calcium. Um, and that's the other beauty of muscle meat as well. So uh, muscle meat's full of phosphorus. So it's very important in our diets to get your calcium-phosphorus ratios correct. Um, and there's a little bit of conflicting information out there. A lot of people say it's a one-to-one -one ratio. Generally, we work on a one to 0.08 sort of ratio. So the phosphorus is just a little bit lower than your calcium. Getting back to your, your bone question though, you know, there's essential fatty acids in there. If you open up marrow bone and that, you can see that beautiful um, marrow inside the bone. There's a lot of fats there. Uh, and as I said, essential fatty acids. And then you can go down that path of grain-fed, grass-fed, and what, what those essential fatty acids are. Um, are if they're, they're a higher omega-3 or a higher omega-6, inflammatory or anti-inflammatory. But also on that, there's other minerals in that found inside um, the bones as well. So... Uh, there's other manufacturers out there that may use a calcium uh, substitute or supplement. We grind bone, we add bone because we want all those nutrients going into our diets as well. It's really quite important. And those fatty acids that I just spoke about. Cool. Um, and so does your boy Yuko, the beautiful German Shepherd, does he get bone in addition to his big dog meals? He does. Um, he probably only gets bone two or three times a week though. He loves it. Um, like most dogs, <laughs> yeah. He, um, yeah. So if that's the case, though, he won't get patties. Yep. He'll just get the bone as that meal, and it'd be morning or afternoon or, or night. Sorry. Sometimes on a weekend, though, um, he might get a bone toss out on a Saturday just to stop annoying me for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> well, what type of bones do you pick for Yuko? Well, he's a big boy, so he can get the big bones. So you know, and and really, when you're looking at a bone. It's important to try to give them bone that they can actually consume 100%. Some of them you can't. And, and when you get to the big bones that Yuko will get, some of them just can't be. You know, he'll have a crack, but, but some of them just can't. So it might be a veal neck bone, mm -hmm. um, turkey neck bones. He loves those and he can consume them. And brisket bones are great for him as well. I, I rotate. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, um, it's nice to rotate all those proteins. We spoke about the essential amino acids and then the amino acid blends um, the more you can rotate those proteins uh, the better opportunity the dog is getting from a nutrition perspective on, on getting those amino acids and balancing out their diet efficiently yeah variety is key absolutely with all these bones that you listed um, they're always raw right yep absolutely yeah no cooked bones ever for your dogs and I know a lot of people might have a, a cooked chook or something and that's always the biggest culprit um, giving dogs some of the, the cooked chook especially the frame and all that sort of thing. it's actually nasty it can penetrate the dogs um, intestines and cause all sorts of issues and blockages too it's a bit harder to digest cooked bone they become as I said they become brittle and can penetrate so um, definitely stay away from cooked bone every, every bone is always raw uh, and obviously with every the bones that we use in our diets, they're, they're always raw, crushed, fine. Besides meat and bone, there's sometimes misconceptions that our pets shouldn't, should or shouldn't have plant matter. 
are there appropriate amounts of plant matter and types that our fairy friends should be having? Yeah, that comes back to the same question of, you know, the percentages. Well, some people say zero because they, they want to, they believe that uh, the dogs in the wild don't eat vegetable hunt, but it has been proven that, that they do. You refer to the wolves, you know, there's up to about seven, eight percent found in their um, fecal matter when it's been tested and studied. Um, but why wouldn't you put vitamin, um, fruit and veg in there? You know, you, the, it's easy access for our animals to have uh, to phytonutrients, antioxidants, natural form of fiber, high moisture, um, a bit of carotene, all these, all these pro vitamins as well. Um, enzymes why would you put it in there it's there it's available um that's why what we do put anywhere up to 10 percent a bit, bit more time time um of that plant matter fruit and plant matter it just balances out even more i think and we're looking for longevity in our animals you know antioxidants um everybody knows about antioxidants and, and what they do for our bodies so why if we've got the opportunity to blend and put that in there for our Pets, why not? Um, but I was always under the impression that I should avoid some vegetables or fruits. Um, for me, it was like nightshade vegetables like eggplants and tomatoes. And um, is there any fruits or vegetables to steer clear of, like onions? Yes, you know that, Tiff. That's why you're throwing that out there. <laughs> yeah, those nightshade um, vegetables, absolutely. You know, it, it does have um, some health complications. Uh, with the dogs so definitely onions no good you know one that always comes up is garlic studies have shown that garlic in small amounts uh, are not toxic at all if, if anything they're, they're highly beneficial it's uh, often referred to as nature's antibiotic so it has those properties that are fantastic for dogs um, tomatoes you know small amounts of tomatoes are okay um, most of the time you, you feed tomato you're chasing lycopene which has research has shown is great for cancer uh, preventing cancer. Uh, eggplants we just don't touch, obviously. Um, there is a little bit of a myth out there about avocados, but the flesh of avocados are fine. It's the seeds in the skin that cause the damage. Um, what else have we got out there that's um, nuts, macadamia nuts and all that sort of stuff is no good, obviously. Um, grapes. Thank you for whispering that across. It's helped. <laughs> grapes as well. Yeah, that's uh, as a fruit, they... they um, I know it either. So, you know, there is a list and there's plenty out there for for our pet parents to refer to that are good enough. But yeah. if you could check our ingredient list, you'd be pretty safe to know that they're, they're all supposed to be in there. Yeah, and I believe there's a blog on our website about the um, ones to avoid. Yeah, absolutely. So looking at the big dog ingredient list, we also include a range of superfoods like whole eggs, wheatgrass, probiotics, kelp powder, and you talked about garlic. Um, why did you include these particular superfoods? Well, we'll start with the, uh, the wheatgrass. Mm -hmm. We, as you know, we grow our own here. We grow about three tonne a, a week here. We harvest it weekly. Um, studies have shown that 15 kilos of wheatgrass would be equivalent to 250 kilos of organic fruit and vegetables. So it's just a powerhouse of nutrition. Um, so we, we do sprout them here and then in the harvest, as I said, after the sixth day. Um, incredibly healthy for the, for the dog. So once again, we're looking for our biggest bang for our buck with the ingredients that we, we put into our formulations. Um, so that's why wheatgrass is a definite. 
um, kelp you mentioned, excellent natural levels of iodine, great for the thyroid, over or underactive thyroid is fantastic, not only that it has plenty of trace minerals in chelated form as well, so highly digestible and you don't need a lot of it. So again, it's perfect to go into our in our diets. You can go too, too much, so if anybody is feeding our diets, I would definitely say you don't need to feed any more kelp, just be careful there, not necessary at all. Um, eggs you mentioned well you know there's a there's <laughs> there's we, we've done an excellent blog on eggs actually I think it was written by Dr. Duncan I think he liked that one um, so that's an excellent blog for our, our listeners to go and, and read uh, the benefits of it but it's nearly it's referred to as nature's most perfect food uh, so proteins digestible essential fatty acids nutrient quality the whole lot is in there so yes we'll, we'll we put that in everything we do. Some of our people get upset with our allergy range containing eggs um, because when we say an allergy range, they're allergic to chicken. We don't have chicken allergy, obviously, diets, um, but that's not necessarily true either. Um, with what's out there, if you're allergic, if your dog's allergic to chicken, doesn't necessarily mean you're allergic to eggs. So you you can trial those and, and just see if your dog does have any. Sort of reaction to that, but highly nutritious eggs. They're fantastic. Nature's perfect food. I think you mentioned one more there, Tiff. What, what have I left? Probiotics, my favorite. <laughs> Probiotics. Okay, so um, there's a whole lot more information out coming out of the probiotics, prebiotics, and now postbiotics. Uh, you don't have the prebiotics and the and the probiotics. You don't get the postbiotics. It makes sense. Um, but the gut microbiome is, is responsible now. It's been proven for so many, um, for ultimate health or if you've got um, inflammatory happening uh, in, in your body that can show itself in so many different forms. Um, cancer is, is the number one, which is terrible. You know, diabetes, allergies, blah, blah, blah. So um, probably making sure you've got a healthy microbiome is essential so we'll include our our probiotics through it as well but we also make sure there's plenty of fiber there to feed the probiotics because prebiotics is the food for the the probiotics and a healthy intestinal wall which is um is essential and if you don't have that it's often referred to now as essentially um leaky gut um and that means then that your intestinal wall can be penetrated and and uh, the nasties can get through that intestinal lining and then it gets into your blood and then that results in inflammation and, and presents itself in many different forms, as I said. So uh, your microbiome is, is essential. So probiotics and probiotic-rich foods um, uh, are essential for your dog. So we'll put our, ours in because it's very strong, very, very potent, the, the, the strongest on the market. Uh, but, you know, people who are making their own foods as well or want to complement our our patties they can put yogurt that's great but it's only like two or three strains there kefir would be amazing if people make their own kefir you've got over 60 strains there and um and it's like the champagne the yogurts they refer to so um you know that you can always add other other probiotics to to you can't have too many yep. you're never going to hurt a dog by, by giving more and more probiotics fiber on the other hand will just turn them into Three or four, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm three or four uh, stools a day. You don't want that either. So there is a bit of a, a balance there. So Chris, what's the difference between the probiotics in our patty recipe versus our big dog probiotic 
powder. Yep. In our in in the big dog recipes, majority of the bacteria that you'll for the probiotics. Um, now, actually, I like to refer to it as bacteria because a lot of people they're, they're hung up on this word bacteria. There's a lot of good bacteria, so we should cover that off in raw diets as well. Bacteria is good or bad. Your bad ones are called pathogens. Your good ones are probiotics, essentially. So, so people need to get comfortable with, with the word bacteria. It's there, it's present, so not, it's in everything that we do. We, we're consumed by probiotics, uh, bacteria, sorry. And our body, I mean, it's it's always been broadcast as a nasty word. It's not. Um, so we should just get comfortable with that, good and bad. And it's really a numbers game with probiotics, or bacteria, sorry. Um, you really want the good the good bacteria to outweigh the bad bacteria. Uh, if you have the bad bacteria, then you're going to start getting those symptoms that dogs and humans get. You're feeling terrible, you know, ill, vomiting, diarrhea. That's when the bad bacteria lies in the pathogens, your E. coli, salmonella, listeria, uh, are in an abundance in our bodies. And the same thing can happen with dogs. But the numbers with the bad bacteria can can it hang around in our bodies as opposed to dogs is totally different as well. Uh, obviously, they can tolerate rule better, much better than what we can. Blame it on our intestinal tract being so long and that fermentation can occur. All right. So that's a little bit boring stuff. But now we'll get back to the real food. <laughs> In our in our food, we have predominantly lacto, lactic acid bacteria. That's coming through the goat's way that we add into our our diets. Um, it, it, and again, it's a numbers game. You'll you'll have other forms of, of probiotics also going in from the other meats that, and, and ingredients that we're putting through, but we're really relying on that probiotic punch coming from our our goat's way, which has been tested regularly by us, and the strength there is is quite quite large. So that's highly beneficial in our, in our diets to go through and make sure that the dog is getting some probiotics. We have prebiotics all through our diets as well um, that can continue to feed the, those probiotics. That being said, with our probiotic blend that we do, and I use that on Yuko every night as well, because um, the more diversity you have in the strains, um, the better that, that ecosystem or that microbiome in humans, dogs will be. So we've got quite a, a diverse range in there. And, and, you know, the one that I really love and the one that I've read plenty of studies on, it's been proven, is the Bacillus subtilis um, that's in there. Um, it's a spore-forming bacteria um, that, that can actually, with, with spore-forming bacteria through the digestive process, you know, it's been exposed to our gut, which is highly acidic, blah, blah, blah. A lot of those probiotics out there, if they, ha- if they aren't a spore-based or if they haven't got been microencapsulated, they're dead in the gut. Okay, so they don't even get where they need to be. With the, the Bacillus subtilis being a spore-forming, it goes through that process and ends up where it needs to be, which is in the colon and intestines. Same thing with our lactic acid bacteria in our, in our probiotic blend as well because they're microencapsulated. So microencapsulated technology actually puts a, a shield around the bacteria it goes through that digestive process and then where it lands where it needs to be, then it, it can actually replicate and, and become active. So very important, um, I believe, that the, the probiotic and, and all the research that's coming out to just keep putting a diverse range of probiotics into your, your dog's diet. We can't cover everything in our pet food, obviously. There's a certain amount that you can, you can get in there. Um, but again, it's a very good basis. Our, our patty range for a good probiotic activity you can complement it by adding our probiotics on top. Highly palatable, and you're giving your dog a supercharged um, level of, of probiotics.
Does that help? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I always use the probiotics for Teddy. But yeah, you can t- definitely see your uh, food scientist hat coming on there. Yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to keep that down low. <laughs> yeah. It's great. You touched on it before, um, and it was my next question about people are nervous to feed raw food because of the bacteria. What advice would you give them? It's a great question, and it is our biggest challenge today because we... We aren't being supported as, as the way we'd like to, some of the professionals out there who uh, still have this stigma on raw feeding because of bacteria. Um, I did touch on pathogens, salmonella, E. coli, listeria um, are present and can be present on raw diets, but reverting back to it, it's a numbers game. If you've got a healthy microflora, pathogens coming through the dogs, system even human beings if they're saying low numbers you will not have an issue because the the bad bacteria just won't let them allow them to replicate it's really their home and they're kind of saying you're not you're not kind of building here so beat it uh it's the same thing so but if you you start eating highly processed foods um vaccines um exposing your dog to chemicals, all this sort of stuff, that starts irritating the microbiome. And then the ultimate can be a leaky gut, and then we, we touched on before the inflammation and, and presenting itself in other forms. But getting back to the raw part of, of for dogs, their intestinal system is totally different. Ours, theirs is two foot long. Ours goes for blanks, meters, meters, and meters, right? So that's what happens. The bacteria gets in there from a raw state, with our intestine, it gets the time to travel through our intestines and ferment on its way. And then we get to the bad end. So the bad bacteria gets that chance to ferment along the way. And then we have an issue. Dogs don't really have that concern. It, it goes straight through their intestines and it ends up where it needs to be. They digest the food within eight hours to 20 hours, depending on its raw or its gibble or whatever it may be. But it doesn't really get that time. But again, if you've got a very healthy microbiome, it's not even an issue. Again, with the, the acidity of your stomach from a dog's point of view, eating raw, di- raw foods, a lot of those bacteria, bad bacteria included, are, are destroyed through the gut anyway, with that pH of, of the gut being 2 to 2.5 acidity. Um, so it, it's not even a thing, to tell the truth. And my argument would be, if you've got, if you open a packet of meat and it just blows your head off with the smell and that, you're not going to give it to your dog because that smell is actually the pathogens. That's the bad bacteria that, that's going on there. Something's gone on with the processing or whatever it may be, but that bad bacteria has taken over and you just wouldn't feed it to your dog anymore because of the smell. If you open a pack of meat or big dog or whatever and it smells fresh, you can be assured that, there's, that there might be a couple of pathogens there, but it's full of the good bacteria. Your dog's healthy anyway. You will not have an issue at all. So if you won't need it for yourself, you wouldn't feed it to your dog? Absolutely not. If it stinks, like in some people, your dog feeds stinks all the time. I get that. Like, I had the smell of kangaroo. I get that, but you know what I mean. When I'm talking from a freshness point of view, um, it is fine. And but you know, dogs go and get a bone in some of them, go and bury it, and then two weeks later they go and eat it. Right? Still don't have an issue, but that's what happens. But when those bones are, it's not really a meaty bone that they're, they're burying. It's you know they've ripped the meat off and then they're shoving it. Bacteria, you know, bacteria need water to survive. Um, they need ideal temperatures as well, which is between ten to sixty to really replicate and. Um, and, and grow and they can replicate every 20 minutes that's why it doesn't take long for meat to turn 
um, because of that replication that the good and the bad do have. But again, it all comes down to a numbers game. And if you're dealing with a, a pet food manufacturer, not just Big Dog or anybody, any manufacturer out there, um, the processes, the raw materials are all so very important to make sure. So what we're starting with is is low numbers on bad bacteria, good numbers on, on good bacteria, and that process is very clean and thorough on the way through. And then once we're finished, it's, it's an immediate blast reason that to, to really stop any potential growth of bacteria. Start with something nice and low and um, bad bacteria, but good and good bacteria, you won't have an issue at the other end. Yeah, so the high quality ingredients. Well, that's when it really comes into play, you know. Um, and again, our processes are, well, I can't speak for other manufacturers, but we're pretty, our, our processes are we follow the, the human uh, consumption sector because of my background. You know, all, all of those critical control points in processing human consumption, we follow here, if not better in some circumstances um, with the way we process because we're using quality products. We don't want a, any form of degradation on throughout the process. We want to get it to the, to the customer nice and fresh as well. Going off to a different tangent, um, people have concerns about feeding both kibble and raw. Can you co-feed? Is this true? Yeah, I think there's another good blog on the Big Dog website about this now. Mm -hmm. Dr. Dunk again, I think he strikes again. He wrote that one as well. Yep. Yeah. So there's a lot of facilities that people say, oh, you can't do that because of the digestion rate. There is different digestion rates, but at the end of the day, it's not going to hurt the dog. Um, we, we know that we have a lot of co-feeders out there um, feeding raw and also feeding kibble. And I'm fine with that as long as we're getting you know some sort of raw food into our you know, the pet parents and, and you know our category, our Category is growing, so there's a lot more people coming across to the raw side of things. They're seeing the, the benefits of it. You know, it's it's not us just out there educating; it's other businesses as well. But it's also just word of mouth. People are actually re recommending to to their loved ones and others about the benefits of raw feed, what they've actually experienced with with eating a raw diet as well. So, I've actually forgotten your question. <laughs> and the uh, the. Proof is in the pudding. Um, I've seen the changes with my own dog. Um, repeating roars just changed their way, his way. Well, that's what we relied on is all word of mouth. That's how our business has grown, um, to tell the truth. Obviously, we have some brilliant marketing girls now. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it's been, the 22 years has been just a, a, a process of education. And, and giving the choice to the pet parent we can give them as much information we can from a raw perspective and they, they have all the other products out there as well but it's up to them to make that decision on what they're comfortable with and that's the ultimate what what, what they can afford what they're comfortable with what they're happy with so for those who are feeding kibble but want to add a fresh food or raw food to their diet what advice would you give them well they've done their their homework and, and if they want to co-feed that's fine so you just it, it's really just the portions to start off with um just make sure that you're going half half on our recommendations and certainly half half on the kibble recommendations um so we've just got to yeah control that but look i think it's wonderful if, if we can get uh, a raw diet being blended with it a, a kibble um and a kibble is void of i'm not yes i'm going to say void of nutrition <laughs> um, bioavailable nutrition, digestible nutrition, it's void of it. You know, it, it's really just a, I refer to it as like a bowl of Fruit Loops. 
you know, giving it to your kid every day. But that being said, you know, it, there's no moisture in it. It's high in fiber. Yes, there's some vitamins and minerals in it. Not balanced as, well, they are balanced as to the AFCO recommendation, um, which those recommendations uh, really have been built around dry foods and kibbles. Um, and I won't go too far into that anymore. Um, but you know, if you're if you're supplementing it with with Big Dog or any other raw brand as well, it's awesome because you're getting that nutrition in, a, in an available, digestible form. You're getting enzymes, which is so important. Um, antioxidants. You're getting all that all that good stuff that's going in and and complementing that um, that kibble diet. And if it's not in kibble, even if it's rice or anything that's been cooked and and whatever, you know that. There isn't a lot of nutrition in it. There's simply a filler, uh, and, and that's if you watch over the dog that does eat kibble, in one end and out the other pretty bloody quickly, you know, and a couple of times a day. Whereas with uh, from a raw feeding perspective, you'll you'll see that the stools are much smaller. They're not as smelly. That's because the dog's actually been able to digest it, and it's available. That nutrition has been taken up immediately. So if you if you can simply want to just add start feeding some some raw to your dog side, it's a step in the right direction, that's for sure. Not comfortable with a frozen product, there's um, freeze-dry products out there that is all raw, it's just been put through a separate process to make it shelf stable. Nutrition is still pretty pretty good, excellent actually. Doesn't have to be big dogs, can be any, there's a number of different brands out there as well. But even sprinkling that on top as a topper or whatever, if that's what you're comfortable, fine. Again, it just comes back down to what the pet parent's comfortable with, the convenience of it. But some sort of form in freeze dry or or raw wet form is absolutely ideal. Yep, just trying to get the more fresh food into their diets. Absolutely, it's the same as us. You know, I referred to it before. If we just eat a highly processed diet all the time, you feel terrible. Once you get a salad or some fruit and that into you, it's totally different. You know, it's it's not that's nothing different for our dogs and cats. Speaking about cats. The recipe we talked about before, is that different for cats? It does. It, it, it has been tweaked. Um, you know, dogs can generate. The amino acid that a lot of people refer to and worry about in vets will also raise is the taurine aspect. Um, cats can't make their own taurine. Dogs can. So it's nice to be supplemented in their diets with the taurine. Now, how do we get taurine into our diets is the use of heart meat. Um, very high taurine. Ironically, it's very good for the heart as well. So, you know, you read a lot about that. Um, you know, different organs and that are actually good for those particular organs. So um, the taurine is essential for cats. And we blend a lot of um, muscle meat or heart into our, our cat foods. But also chicken, turkey, um, those muscle meats are, are very high in taurine as well. So they're quite complementary. So first of all, foremost, we want to make sure that's there. But the, the actual percentage do change a bit. We add, we add a bit more offal content. We just referred to the heart and the livers and that. Highly palatable for the cats. We back off on the veggie matter as such. Muscle meat still needs to be there absolutely and the bone comes back a little bit as well. A little bit more tweaking. Um, normally the, the cat diets are a little bit higher in the protein uh, and a bit lower in the fat. And, and that's through the, those ingredients that I just mentioned with just a little bit of tweaking there. Yeah, awesome. And you talked about heart. Uh, why is heart considered a muscle meat, not a offal? Because when you do the, the actual chemical breakdown of, of heart, it's very similar to muscle meat. 
you know, it's high in protein and has a nice level of iron and zinc and that sort of stuff, a couple of the B vitamins. But it doesn't really have the same components as what kidney would have or liver, which vitamin A's, D's, you know, the whole plethora is going on with those, with those sort of initial offers. But a heart is classified as, a, as an awful component, but we treat it as a, a muscle meat, essentially from a blending point of view. So our recipes cover everything, muscle meat, organs, bone, plant matter. That's to make it complete and balanced. What does the complete and balanced mean? To, to call it a, a, a pet food complete and balanced, you need to meet the standards of the AFCO, the AFCO sense. They're an American standard, Australia has adopted. Um, I touched on it before, it, I'm not necessarily in agreement with it because we're manufacturers are all raw diets and they certainly haven't been um, formulated at those levels for a raw diet, it's more of a kibble-based diet. I've said it before, essentially you can just go and get a, a bag of cereal, add this um, synthetic vitamin and mineral product to it in the, in the nut, levels that AFCO require to add to, get it tested, and if it meets all those levels in the vitamins and minerals, you now have a complete and balanced dog food. Do you want to feed that to your dogs? Or uh, the other option is that they do give you is a feeding trial. So we've gone down that, that path because we won't add synthetic vitamins and minerals. It's all got to come from nature. So we've done that. We've done the tests with the vets. We've proven that it's, uh, and the vet was signed off. We've proven that uh, the dogs are still extremely healthy um, over that period of time of the feeding trial. Um, so we can now call ourselves complete and balanced as well as can any other manufacturer out there that's meeting those African standards. So there's two standards, one nutritionally, second one is a feeding trial. Do I think both of them add a lot of weight to to the pet food out there? No, um, that's from my technical background, uh, but it is a standard. It, it's at least something. Um, so at least we can, there is some sort of relief there that the, the pet parents can have, that there is a, an element of nutrition going on, um, either or. But yeah, the, um, you need to meet those, either of those two to call your, your product complete balanced. I like that we don't add any synthetics, um, so we know nature knows best. Nature never gets it wrong. So yeah, we look for those, those levels, those essential levels. Do we make reference as a business to AFCO? Do we refer to NRC? Yeah, we do. Do we read whole heap of studies and and you know constantly looking for for the perfect equilibrium um yes but again it's all in that rotation and whatnot so it, it's balanced not every meal is ever complete and balanced i don't think there's a human being that eats a complete and balanced meal every time he sits down so again that's why we enforce and we'd like to see that um uh the different diets being being used as a cycle so yeah, that makes a good point. Um, variation is important. We recommend rotating diets. What does that mean? Yep. So, uh, again, the, the, you're going to get different levels of nutrition in each one of our diets because uh, the amino acid, let's start the protein, the amino acid profile changes. Um, you might get a little bit more veggie in one and then the other. Um, essential fatty acids, depending on what you're feeding as well. Um, the omega-3 content, so... I, I really like our, our salmon because, and well, Yuko gets a lot of our salmon because I'm always chasing those omega-3s. He's a big dog, he's an older dog. 
he it doesn't stop. You know, so you, you know it, it's really that rotation that complements a complete and balanced food, or referring to the evolutionary diet. Um, yeah, so so just rotating through those proteins, it, it just balances everything out. Not just the protein, sorry, the other ingredients as well. It just it just balances everything else mm. for for your dog. Um, look, some some dogs have allergies, and that's fine. But you, if there's a, one particular protein that you can't eat, like chicken, it makes it harder. I understand we have a we have a lot of chicken in some of our products, but there are the, those allergy ranges as well that you can use. Even the well being, which is a lower fat, I get that. As long as your dog's not staying on that all the time. Um, and you're rotating that as well. Excellent. Sensitive skin. There's other elements that we have in our, in our different diets um, that you can like. There's really nice herbal blends throughout throughout well-being. Um, there's a couple of other higher omega three products in our sensitive skin to to counteract any of those skin issues um, because it's an anti-inflammatory. But again, you can rotate through all those and our allergy or whatever it may be. Don't be afraid. Just make sure that if it's a, if there's a different fat level on them, that's a little bit different. You can't just keep your dog sitting on that one; otherwise, they will start to lose lose weight. But yeah, variety is the key. That's the same as us. We don't sit down and have a, the same thing every day. And that's why we include uh, different proteins from different animals within most of our recipes. Yeah, absolutely. We're trying to get that that complement. Um, you know, but there, there are actual dogs out there that. And cats that uh, have allergies, and you know that's why we have a, a three different products as well for the allergies, right? But um, yeah, variety. Those committed to feeding raw food, um, often DIY. Do you have any tips for them? Mm-hmm. It, it's really just understanding some of those essential ratios, and first and foremost is the the calcium and phosphorus ratio that I mentioned before. So just being aware. That, um, to get that right, otherwise you, you, you can have some skeletal issues, uh, especially with the puppies if, if that's not balanced. If it's going too far one way, you know, we'll have some major issues. So, look, there's, there's plenty of information out there, basic percentages out there that people are recommending. Uh, we've rattled off some today, so you can have the, the 80 10 10 rule um, that, will, that will hold you in good stead, really. Um, I think the the major challenge out there right now for the DIYs is is um, finding the raw materials, and I think that that's probably why we saw a, a big growth once COVID hit. Is um, the DIYs not being able to get all those raw materials, and, and we were a really pretty good backup, I think. And I think we still are for a long time. They, they just haven't got a few buy a box of big dog, and that'll get them through until they're ready to make their batch, or whatever it may be. But essentially, it is you know just follow those. Those form those percentages, and I think you'll be fine. Um, bone is, is essential. Make sure that they've got some sort of calcium product going in there, complementing the lean meat. And just with the offal, you know, something like maybe don't get any more than five percent of, of your diet. Uh, but if you have some of those other organs, you know, you know like I mentioned before, the spleens and the hearts, and that you can you can take that right up to twenty five percent. Just yeah, your livers, which are really high in vitamin A and vitamin Ds. Just be very careful. Those kidneys aren't far off livers either from a nutritional. They're much of a muchness. Um, so yeah, so just be a bit careful with those. But other than that, 2010 you'll be fine. A little sprinkle of our probiotics would be lovely. Mm-hmm. All right. So if that's got everyone um, changing to raw, should they just switch from kibble to raw straight away? No. And it's an excellent question. 
um, we like a slower transition. Can dogs just jump straight off from kibble to raw and have no issues? Yes, they can, but just to help their, their tummies, um, it, it's a lot better just transitioning across. Uh, we, we talk about two weeks transition. So essentially you're starting with 80% kibble, 20% of big dog um, for a couple of days. Monitor their stools, That's, that is the best indicator, is their, their stools. Um, if, the, if you're comfortable with that, they haven't changed much, go to a 70, 30, 60, 40, 50, 50, and keep working your way through till you get to that two, two week mark. By that time, it's also allowing the stomach of the dog's pH um, to actually change as well. And when you lower that pH of the, of the stomach of the dog, you're and making it more acidic. We touched on before about bacteria, how it can destroy the bad bacteria. And some of the good bacteria, um, essentially the bad bacteria, but um, it will change that pH as well. And when it's lower, it's also able to digest the food matter much better. So when you've got a bit of bone and that sort of stuff, it's 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 making that a bit easier as well. So that that's the only concern if you change your dog straight over to, to a raw with bone in it, raw dog with, with um, to bone, you know, it might be able to break it down as easily. I do say won't have an issue, but it's always best to, to just be a little bit. Um, you've been feeding for a certain amount of time anyway, and plus you've probably got kibble to use up. Mm. So use it up that way in the transition stage, and your dog will be a lot happier for it as well. So you're not having to clean up some of those loose stools if they've had a bit of a reaction to it. Yeah, that's a great one. Uh, we have a great poo chart on our website which is very popular i'm amazed it's always in the top two of our favorites <laughs> of our yeah. favorites people looking at our poo chart but it's good it's really informative oh yeah i love it i use it all the time yeah. <laughs> it's on my fridge <laughs> all right that's been great really informative thanks chris thanks um, all the blogs that we referred to today we will link in the description. <laughs> yeah, thank you for your time and patience. <laughs> that was good. All right, thank you so much. I'll see you on the next one. Boom. <laughs> thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information and content, visit the Big Dog Pet Food website. Please note that the information discussed is general in nature and has been provided in good faith for educational and informational purposes only. The information provided is not nor is intended to be substituted for professional advice or care. If any of the topics discussed raises questions or concerns for you regarding the health of your pet, we recommend that you consult your veterinarian or trusted pet health provider for individual assessment and advice.